Is it possible that the truth for UFOs lies not by looking in the skies, but by visiting the patent office? Then we take a look at the Tallman family. A mother, a father, and their three children just trying to enjoy life in the mid-1980s. Everything was going swell until they bought a used bunk bed. For the next nine months, the family was haunted, taunted, and tormented until they nearly lost their minds. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys are having lots of fun doing whatever you're doing. You're, you're shopping for used bunk beds. You're like, great, this is the episode we're listening to today. First off, let's give a shout out to one of our legacy Patreons coming into Dead Rabbit Command right now. We have Gregory Gorley. Everyone give a round of applause to good old Gregory. He's walking into Dead Rabbit Command. He's juggling. Remember when I used to do that? Remember when everyone got a special intro? Like, guys were riding in on pachyderms and clowns and... You do do remember that? I'm listening to you. Oh, man. Someday I'll do a behind-the-scenes of why I dropped doing that. But let's just say, I I almost lost my mind. I almost canceled doing the show. I just couldn't do it anymore. But Gregory's walking in. He's all now. He feels bad that he was juggling. Gregory's coming into Dead Rabbit Command. You're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can support the Patreon. That's fine, too. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. Gregory, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are first headed off to the patent office somewhere in the United States. Gregory's driving this old-timey Jason Jalopy across the highways and byways of the United States. We walk into the patent office. There's a bunch of people sitting there wearing their glasses Fiddling with papers. They're like, hmm, this invention looks delightful. Pass. And they have a little stamp. I imagine this is what goes on in the patent office. I'm sure it's way less zany. And then, like, dude, what if the patent office act? Dude, this is dope. You're like, Jason, just do the episode. No, hold on. Let me do this bit I just came up with. What if the patent office is full of inventions that they didn't pass patents for because they wanted them. So there's, like, anti-gravity slides and, like, <laughs> bouncy tunnels and stuff like that. So when they're like, hey, Alfred, go deliver this paperwork, they're, like, putting on, okay, <laughs> okay, the bit's over, fine. It sounded funnier in my head. Anyways, the point is we're at the patent office. And there we're going to meet a man. His name is... Jeffrey Shapiro. He's actually a journalist for the Wall Street Journal. Very, very fascinating. He's not, he doesn't work at the patent office. I don't know why that whole introduction. I gotta just said I read an article the other day. I read an article the other day from the Wall Street Journal written by Jeffrey Scott Shapiro. There we go. Super, super interesting. It's called UFOs May Be Earthly and Dangerous. He's not talking anything about the old-timey UFO sightings like Roswell, the ones around Mount Adams. He's not talking about Foo Fighters during World War II. He's not talking about all of these historical UFO sightings. Roswell. Did I say that one already? He's not talking about he's not talking about that one twice. What he's talking about is modern-day sightings. He's talking about stuff like the Tic Tac, the very famous Tic Tac video over the Nimitz Battle Group. We've talked about it several times on the show. Very, very popular UFO sighting. In 2018, the U.S. Navy registered a patent with the Patent Office. It was to attach laser beams to aircraft, not for the sake of shooting down TIE fighters, but for, this is so interesting. 
It's for the sake of creating decoys. Their initial idea was this. We've been fighting heat-seeking missiles for decades now. And sure, we can shoot off the chaff. It looks really cool. But you know, when you're flying for your life, you don't care how cool it looks. Is it effective? And when you shoot off the chaff, when you shoot off those flares, it creates another heat signature. Maybe it'll confuse the missile. Maybe it won't. But it won't confuse another pilot. They'll look at it and they'll go, ah, chaff. They'll fly their plane around it. But the missile, it might stop the missile. But once you release the chaff, you're still going like Mach 4. The chaff is way behind you. It's like miles back. So they go, what if we can create a way to create a decoy that moves with the plane? And that's not where they stop. That's not where they stop, because you could just create heat signatures that kind of go along with the plane. No, they're talking about this patent is to create two-dimensional and three-dimensional images next to the fighter jet that will fool all the sensors. Chicken little, chicken little, this is rooster hen. Look out, there's a bogey on your tail. Missiles coming after you. And you go, boop. And then all of a sudden... Like, another jet appears next to you. (laughs) Hologram of another jet flying next to you. And the missile hits the hologram. And you're like, Jason, that might... (laughs) Out of the 700 and, what, 22 episodes you've done, that might be the most absurd thing you've ever talked about. Well, that's because you didn't read the article. You didn't read the article. You can... Well, I'm not saying you can do that now. But that's what the idea is. You would create holographic images of whatever you wanted next to your plane. You could have a, a bunch of chickens flying there. You could have you could have Paul Bunyan. You could have Paul Bunyan sitting on the wing of your plane. You could have Superman flying there, and it would redirect the missile to the hologram because it's what it is. It's something they call laser-induced plasma filaments. So you're creating a super hot hologram. It's Jessica Rabbit. She's floating next to your plane. The point is, is it'll make the missiles go towards the hologram. But it's not just a matter of redirecting missiles. They're talking about having 3D holograms that will fool all your sensors. So instead of just seeing a jet, you see a bunch of birds on the radar. Maybe you're looking out the window and you know you're seeing one jet. Well, it's funny because I have a friend who used to be a fighter pilot. And I keep talking about, like, you're looking out your window and you see the other guy waving at you and the other jet. He goes, listen... Fighter and pilot engagements, they're held, like, miles apart. It's its its not like you see in the... You're, you, he goes, in the movies, they have to capture both of them, like, on the same... You have the camera frame, and you see the two of them flying... To, he goes, it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way at all. You're never... If you were videotaping a fighter pilot fight, you would never see... I mean maybe as they're coming towards each other, he goes, but it's so fast. The distances are so far. It's not like World War II where the plane... So what this all leads up to is he's saying this would... If this technology is being used today, it would explain so much stuff like the Tic Tac video. It would explain so many of these ghosts that we see that are moving in ways that we can't comprehend. We can comprehend them. We just... Our technology doesn't do that. He goes, it would explain all of that. He goes, it's possible that the Nimitz group, the Tic Tac video, was a double bluff was that the U.S. military was testing their own... St- I, I personally believe that the Tic Tac stuff was never supposed to get released. I believe... And we, I said this a long time ago in an episode. I don't remember which one it was, but... The fact that the Nimitz battle group had the most sophisticated surveillance apparatus in human history all in one place, this whole battle fleet, 
This was the most advanced surveillance equipment, monitoring equipment in the history of the planet Earth. And that's the time that the Tic Tac shows up. This little UFO. I believe it was someone was testing something that day. Was it us? Was it another government? But I don't think we were ever supposed to see that video. That video got leaked. But I think that that was a test. And someone knew that this group was going to be here on this day and they wanted to run this test. So his, his idea is that, yes, it's possible that the U.S. military did some weird double bluff where they were testing their own equipment against it. But this would explain why we have these weird monitor readings, why they last for a long time, why people pursue them but can never catch up to them. They can do these weird things. Again, he's not saying that it explains all UFO sightings, just these more modern sightings. But they are building this. They have a prototype of it in Japan. There's a video of it where they're making 3D shapes just sitting in the sky. They look like child's toys. The one in Japan looks like a child's toy. And at first you think they're projecting it on a wall, but they're actually making like a star shape or a triangle shape or a ball just appear in the sky. It's very, very rudimentary at this point. But that's the stuff that Japan is showing up. Let's look at these quotes. So this is from the actual U.S. Navy patent. There can be multiple laser systems mounted on the back of the air vehicle, with each laser system generating a ghost image, such that there would appear to be multiple air vehicles present. The patent continues, The potential applications of this lip flare decoy, and lip is the uh, laser-induced plasma, flare decoy can be expanded, such as using a helicopter deploying flares to protect a battleship, or using this method to cover and protect a whole battle group of ships, a military base, or an entire city. So they're really pushing for this technology to work. It would be the equivalent of a force field without the force. <laughs> this is just a field, but it would completely confuse all the sensors. They wouldn't know what the target was, and you can make it look like there are 100 fighter jets overhead. You can make The big question is, can you make it look like there's nothing there? All right, I guess that's stealth technology. I'm like, whoa, I just made a huge breakthrough. I guess that's just stealth technology, but this could explain a lot of these UFO sightings that are being picked up. Does it explain the ones where the pilots are seeing the object? If it's advanced enough, it is. If they can create the ghost image and they can make a 3D image appear flying next to the jet. It's all like really low polygon. It looks like something from Lawnmower Man. You're like, ah, oh, that's the fake one. But even then, going at the speeds that fighter pilots are traveling at, a low polygon jet is still going to look like a jet. Very, very interesting story. And if you can make something that looks like a jet, you sure can make something look like a UFO. And even though we do have a lot of stories of people opening fire on UFOs and chasing UFOs, you're a little more hesitant because you don't know what it is. When you see something, you don't know what it is. If you see a U.S. fighter jet and you're a country that hates the United States, you just shoot it. But if you see like this, you see the Jetsons, you see the Jetsons and Elroy's driving the vehicle, you, you're going to wait a little bit longer to pull that trigger. Unless you're more of a Flintstones fan and then... Bombs away, Astro. Gregory, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind the patent office. We are heading on out to Horicon, Wisconsin. It's February 1987, and we're in Horicon, Wisconsin. Specifically, we're on a little street known as Larrabee Street. 
Now, some of you guys may be old enough to remember that this story was originally on Unsolved Mysteries. It was actually in the first season. It was like episode three or four. But what's interesting, the whole story's interesting, but what led me to actually dig deeper into this story, it's lost media now. Sure, you can find it on YouTube, so it's not technically the definition of lost media, but Unsolved Mysteries on any streaming platform, this segment is removed from the episode. There's only one way to really get it legally. I mean, at any point, YouTube can pull it, pull this segment. There's a VHS copy of Unsolved Mysteries. It's like ghost stories. It's like they took some of their best ghost stories and put together this VHS copy. There you can hear the story of the Tallman ghost. I'll have a link to the YouTube video in the show notes, but will it get copyright striked? Who knows? Because it shouldn't be there. Unsolved Mysteries themselves have removed it from their catalog. You can no longer watch this officially. We'll get to why in a bit, but let's take a look at the story of the Tallman family right now. You have a family of five. You have Alan and Debbie Tallman, and then they have their three little kids. You have Danny, their son, and then two two unnamed daughters. They're like, oh, we'll figure a name out for you later. And actually, when Unsolved Mysteries came to them, they said, we'll only do the show on these conditions. One, our faces are completely blacked out. We don't want anyone to know our identity other than our first and last name and the house we used to live in. And two, you can't use the names of our children because we don't want this to affect them growing up any more than the horrifying haunting did. We don't want them to be tracked down by reporters or anything like that. But Alan and Debbie Tallman and then their three uh, anonymous children, they recently moved into this house on Larrabee Street. And while they're moving in, they're getting their furniture together. They have to buy some extra furniture. They buy a used bunk bed at a secondhand shop and they put it together in their basement. Everyone's like, yay, bunk bed. This is going to be so fun. <laughs> that, that was Alan who said that. And Debbie's like, oh, why did I marry the man who talks like a baby? May 1987. They decide to move the bunk bed upstairs. I don't know if the kids were sleeping in the basement previous to that. But in May 1987, they, they're like, you kids have been really good these past few months. No more sleeping on the floor for you. Yay. Here's the bunk bed that we've withheld as a punishment. May 1987, they moved the bunk bed upstairs. And that night, that very night they moved the bunk bed up, their son Danny is sleeping in his bedroom. And all of a sudden, his clock radio starts changing channels super fast, and he, it startles him. It's late at night. It scares him. He looks, and he actually sees the little bar. The little, remember, remember those old-timey radios that you had to manually change the channel? He could see the bar go back and forth. He runs out of his room. He tells his parents, dude, mom, dad, there's stuff going on in my room. Like the radio's going on and off and I can see the dial. And the parents get really upset. Parents get really upset. And he's older. He's probably like eight or nine at this point. Past all this ghost nonsense. And dad gets mad and he goes, listen, we gave you the clock radio because we knew you'd like it. But if you're going to be doing the shenanigans, we're taking it from you. Which totally reminded me of something that my dad would have said. I chuckled when I saw that. And, and the horrifying stuff that happens later, I also had a good chuckle. So he's like, well, I'd rather have the clock radio. I'd rather be able to listen to Debbie Gibson late at night. So fine, dad, whatever. Shortly after that, their children, who are normally really healthy, they all start to get sick. The mom, Debbie, said we would take at least one of the kids to the doctor a week. Like, it was just, it was nuts. And they were normally healthy. But again, you're not really thinking at this point. <laughs> Maybe it's the bunk bed. 
right? You're not thinking, I wonder why my kid all of a sudden had a strep throat, and you're looking around for any items that could be cursed. They're not even approaching a haunted explanation right now. One day, Alan, he's in the basement, he's painting, because this house they're still settling into, and they're trying to make it their own home. He's painting in the basement, and all of a sudden, Honey, it's time for lunch, Debbie calls out. And Alan puts his paintbrush down and walks upstairs to go eat lunch. When he comes back downstairs into the basement, the paintbrush was in the paint can, and that's not where he left it. But even more odd, I think this detail actually weirded me out more than anything, and I don't know why. Because we're going to get into some weird stuff. This part stuck out to me the most. When he walks downstairs, the paintbrush is in the paint bucket, but it's in there with bristles up. The handle is in the paint now. And I, I you're waiting for like, it to be all bloody. You're waiting for it to be like, la, 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 la. It's on a haunted rocking chair. No, because that shows that whatever this is, is a jerk, right? Like, at that point, it's like flinging it across the room. Yeah, that's like a show of power. But when you take a paintbrush, stick it with the handle. I mean, that's Dennis the Menace-esque ghost action. I Very creepy. Like, that's sinister. You're like, Jason, it's really not that big of a deal. Well, it is to me. That was it. Okay, I'm going to say this. If you're getting ready to shut it off, if you're like, wait, if that's the creepy... That's the creepiest part. No, 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 don't shut it off. It gets way creepier than that. To me, that was just unsettling. But it gets more unsettling. But for me, maybe I'm just jaded. They're still living in this house, so what are you going to do? It's not like he's like, honey, let's pack it up. My paintbrush is ruined. Let's go. She's like, what? He's like, no, just pack up dinner. We're going to go at a hotel. The two daughters sleep in the same room, and one day, the little girl is telling her mom, Mommy, Mommy, you won't believe what happened last night. And the mom goes, what happened, little one? And she goes, I was in bed, and it was dark. It was nighttime, and and I'm I wake up, next to my older sister and and it's just me awake and i look and there's the door is open to the bedroom and then i look and and behind the door like the door was open i looked mommy and there was a witch there was a witch in my room mommy and she had red eyes they glowed in the dark like two rubies standing on the precipice of the ebony maw. And there was fire behind the witch, Mom. There was fire behind the witch. Now, the, <laughs> the daughter wasn't that. The daughter, the daughter, I think, basically came down and goes, Hey, Mom, there's a witch in my room. I woke up, there was a witch. There was a witch standing behind the door. Red eyes, saw fire. And I, don't, I don't think she was a retelling a Robert E. Howard novel. But the point is, is the mom was like, okay, that's weird. But again, it's not to the level of a haunting. Because what we have right now is paintbrush, people getting sick, the clock radio. And these are all like months apart, right? And then your little, your youngest daughter sees a witch, a witch in her room. Uh, you know, okay, no more, no more television for you, young lady. But then... A couple days later, Danny comes to his mom and says, Mom, you listen, I know you guys didn't believe me about the clock radio. And I know you guys are tired of taking me to the doctor because I'm always sick. But Mom, I saw something in my room last night. Mom's like, what? 
he goes, okay, this is going to sound so weird. But I saw a witch. So like a, a, how you would imagine a witch to look. And she was surrounded by fire. She was just standing in my room staring at me with these blood red eyes. And the mom is like, okay, okay, now this place has to be haunted. This is the first time they start thinking ghosts. At some point, they invite their local pastor over. And the pastor walks in the house and he goes, this place is evil. There's something wrong with this place. I do believe that there's some sort of demonic activity in this house. But it's that old trope. You just bought the house. You can't, you've signed the mortgage, you've signed all the paperwork. It's going to take you forever to sell it. Maybe something's going on. Maybe there's like some witch. Maybe there's some horrifying witch making your children sick. Who knows? They're not putting away that the bunk bed has anything to do with it. First, they don't think it's a haunting at all. Now they're thinking it's the house more than anything because so much time has passed. So not until, it's not until they start looking back that they think the bunk bed has anything to do with anything of this. Now they're just kind of plagued by normal, quote-unquote, normal paranormal activity. Doors opening and closing, weird noises, ghostly voices crying out from the darkness. The week before Christmas in 1987, Danny is sleeping on the couch. Because why not? Because why not? There's a fiery witch in your room. Might as well just sleep on your couch next to all the Christmas lights and try to get a peaceful sleep. He wakes up in the middle of the night and sees a horrifying figure just standing there in the darkness. Now, it's really interesting. They don't describe what he looks like on Unsolved Mysteries. They just show the child's reaction, which actually makes it very scary because they don't show this creature on the show. They don't even describe what it looks like. There was a book, though, called Haunted America, which fills in more of the description. Apparently, this is what Danny said that he saw. They said it was a human figure, but it was so indistinct you couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman. It was just standing there, almost like a shadow person, a pitch black figure standing in the darkness, so dark that you can still make the outline of it. And it had glowing red eyes with green pupils, just staring at Danny. And Danny flipped out. He's like, I'm done. I can't do this. Yes, the eyes are very Christmassy, but still, everything else, everything else is unchristmassy. He freaks out. He starts crying. The dad comes out of his room and he just loses it. The dad is like, Come on, you want to fight? Let's fight. You want to go? Let's go. Why don't you pick on someone your own size? Oh, just kind of antagonizing this creature, whatever it is. But I can understand it. It's really. Like, I don't have kids. Maybe if someone came and started, like, I don't know, messing with my Deep Space Nine action figures, I'd be like, come on, man, you want to take on someone of your own size? Poltergeist is throwing him around the room. I'm like, stop, stop, fight me, fight me. What did Cisco ever do to you? But I'm sure people, I'm sure people's love for their children are more, more than my love for my Deep Space Nine action figures. I hope so. But because they're all super dusty, they're just sitting there. But anyways, the point is, is like, I feel for the dude. He said on the episode of Unsolved Mysteries, he goes, I would go to work, and at work I would wonder, is my family dead? Like, am I going to come home and everyone in the house is murdered or just dead? Like, that's not, that's not a fun work environment, right? That's not a fun anything environment. He was so stressed out about his house. On January 7th, he was working the late shift, so he doesn't get home till like 2 in the morning.
It's so funny because I don't know if any of that got picked up on, and I'll edit it out, but there's another episode that that happened too. It sounds like someone's walking around in my closet. Anyone who's seen, this is a, an aside, and it may get edited out, but anyone who's watching me record an episode or seen footage, my closet is not the smallest closet. It's not the biggest closet either. I'm perfectly still for the most part. Sometimes I'll wiggle around in my chair and that mic will pick that up. But right there, it sounded like someone was walking around in my closet. And what's interesting about that, there, there is no room to walk when I'm sitting here. That's happened twice recently. So it's, I don't know what it could be. I don't know. See, that was me shifting in my chair. It's a totally different sound. But anyways, that may have not got picked up. We may edit that out or it may be a sign of something super spooky coming up. We don't know. January 7th, um, Alan gets home from the late shift, the 2 a.m. late shift from work. When he pulls his car up, he hears the wind. It's almost like he's walking in a wind tunnel. And at the same time, he hears a growl. Now, this is like a suburban neighborhood, right? There shouldn't be this stuff going. I mean, there can be wind in the suburban neighborhood. But he knows something's up, and he hears this howl, and he hears the wind, and then he hears... Come here. This is the first haunting really outside the house. He's just in the driveway and he go and he's kind of perturbed that all this stuff's going on. He goes and he looks around the corner of the house, and once he steps around the corner of the house, the wind ends, the howling ends, the voice is gone. So he goes back into the front of his garage and he's walking into his house, and all of a sudden the wind and the howling begins again, and he just hears, Come here. Come here. Come here. Over and over and over again as he's walking towards the front door. And finally, he turns around. He gets fed up with whatever this is. He turns around. His garage is fully engulfed in flames. He panics. Like, what are you doing in this moment? He goes inside. He puts down his lunch pail. He thinks about it for a second. He's like, okay, wait a second. My garage is on fire. I better do something. He goes back outside. The fire's gone. There's no damage at all to his garage. He's looking around. He doesn't see anything damaged. There never was a fire. He goes back inside. And it's like, okay, that was super annoying. That took some time out of my day. Kind of woke me up. It's 2 a.m. He picks up his lunchbox. And as he's walking through his living room, something grabs his lunchbox and hurls it across the living room. Again, this is a Dennis the Menace level ghost. Like He waited for him to pick it up before he threw it. One night he's sleeping in his daughter's room because they don't they don't feel comfortable. No one feels comfortable. They're probably drawing straws to see who gets to sleep with dad that night. So the ghost doesn't get them, even though he's not immune to it. One night he's sleeping in his daughter's room. He's on the floor. A mist fills the room, covers him up, and he hears a voice go, You're dead. few nights after that, Alan's like, listen, I do have to work. I have to pay for this horrible, horrible house and food for my children. He asked one of his relatives, he goes, hey, listen, I know you don't believe in ghosts or anything like that. I know you're a total skeptic. Would you mind staying at my house, keeping an eye on my kids while I'm gone? Uh, you know, be careful. Uh, stuff may burst into flames. Don't try painting anything. The skeptic goes, yeah, yeah, totally. I will take care of it. The skeptic is sleeping in the girl's room. He's on the floor. All of a sudden, the entire house is awakened by his horrifying scream. Apparently what he saw was, while he was sleeping on the floor, he saw the same pitch-black figure standing in the girl's bedroom, just staring down at him, with blood-red eyes and green glowing pupils. 
this figure looked at this formerly skeptical relative and said, Now, you're involved. He yelled and ran out of the little girl's room, and the mom comes around the corner. She's just woken up from the screaming, and she asks this dude, where are, where are the girls? And he goes, they're still in the room. Like, I just got up and left. I totally left them there. She runs in, grabs the kids, and she goes, that's it. We're moving out. We're done. They did. They left the house. They never returned to the house. The news spread around the city of Horicon as a rumor at first. There was a house on Larrabee Street that was horribly haunted. But the rumor grew in strength. You begin to have hundreds of cars driving through the neighborhood to get a glimpse of the house. Neighbors were insistent. There's nothing going on there. Sure, I'm living in a different house, but I've never seen any ghosts there. I I don't know what's going on. But other people were like trying to break into the house. They were going to fight the demons. The police were getting called out constantly. They were catching drunk people hanging out of the house. They were catching drunk people trying to break into the house. I keep seeing something out of the corner of my eye. You know, I'll tell you guys this. If you guys are ever going to record a paranormal podcast, don't do it. Don't do it in a haunted closet. The police had to keep coming out to this location because they're getting reports of drunk people in the area. People were getting drunk and be like, what? I could totally fight a demon. I don't believe in ghosts. Blah, 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 blah. And they're trying to break into the house. At one point, there was a group of people threatening to burn down the house. What happened was the rumors were becoming more than just... There's a ghost, there's a haunted bunk bed, things like that. People started to believe that the house itself was a portal to hell. So you had to destroy the house, burn it down in the middle of this residential neighborhood. Burn the house down. The police are like, we can't we can't keep 24-hour surveillance on this house. We also can't let people burn it down. So they contacted the Tallmans and they said, we know some reporters who will cover this story very fairly in a non-exploitive way. Can you talk to them? to clear a bunch of this stuff up because we're having a bunch of reports that aren't true. And the Tallman family didn't want anything to do with the story, but the police were pleading with them. They said yes. And then around the same time, Unsolved Mysteries was starting their first season. This is one of the very first episodes they covered was the Tallman ghost. Unsolved Mysteries came out there and made this arrangement with the family as well. It made the house more popular, but it also did solidify the legend so there were no more talks of this haunted house the idea was it was a haunted bunk bed and the tallman family said they did remove the bunk bed because they felt responsible they weren't just going to leave that there and they buried it in a landfill a private landfill they said no house will ever be put on top of it it's gone forever the house itself wasn't haunted the the, the next owners of the house the next owners of the house never reported paranormal activity. And as far as we know, the Tallman family has not reported any paranormal activity either. It's interesting because the Unsolved Mysteries episode ends with um, Debbie saying, Someone asked me, can the haunting follow you? And her answer, I don't know. Before this happened, I really didn't know anything about ghosts. She doesn't know the rules. But they did bury the bunk bed, and that seemed to have ended whatever was happening at this house. An interesting end to this story is that, to this day, the Tallman family does not want this story being told. You're like, Jason, you jerk. Well, hold on. The Tallman family said, we do not want this segment aired on Unsolved Mysteries. We are not going to allow you the rights to show it on your streaming networks. Now, when they signed the contract, it was for reruns 
on television, but for streaming, they had to do new contracts, and Tallman family, when contacted, reportedly said, no. We're done with this story. We don't want any more publicity about it. We're absolutely done. You cannot run this on streaming. So the only place you can find it right now is on YouTube. For now. It could be gone soon. So the next time you're in a Goodwill or a thrift store or a secondhand shop, maybe put down that item that catches your eye. Maybe just walk past the antique that you feel calling to you. Sure, you might just want to have a cool tchotchke in your house, a conversation piece. Or maybe it's a useful piece of furniture. But it could be calling out to you not because of any sort of fashion sense or the price is good. It could be calling out to you from beyond the depths of hell. And if that sounds like an extreme exaggeration, just ask the Tallman family if they've ever shopped again at a secondhand store. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys. Thank you.